Full Service Radio is proudly supported and hosted by Simplecast, the easiest way for a podcast creator to publish and distribute audio on the internet. For more information, visit Simplecast.com. Service Radio. Welcome to the Big Life Podcast on Full Service Radio. We are Lina Salazar and Ingrid Vaishus, broadcasting live from the lobby of the Line Hotel in Washington, D.C. When we are stressed and burned out, our lives become small. On the weekend, Rather than taking a break from work email, we feel the urge to always be on. We can sleep because our minds wander back to our to-do lists, and we skip lunch because we have back-to-back meetings. Living a big life is the opposite. We live beyond work and deadlines, and we prioritize the things that we value the most. In the big life, we hold inspiring and honest conversations with locals about the aha moment that helped them transition to living a bigger and more fulfilling life. We're very excited to welcome Jill Hicks, a licensed acupuncturist and herbalist and the owner of Scarlet Oak Acupuncture in Georgetown. Jill strongly believes in the power of the body to find its own balance and through the use of acupuncture, herbal formulas, lifestyle adjustments, and food therapy will help you find your own balance. We're very excited about this topic because both Lena and I really are fans of acupuncture so (laughs) why don't we just dive in welcome jill thanks guys jill Mm -hmm. it's very exciting to have you here and yes as ingrid mentioned we're both uh, fans of acupuncture um and the reason why we wanted to bring you here is because you have a very special story you worked in international development sort of like a similar path that of ingrid and i right we were both also international development nine to five Mm -hmm. Um, and you you dealt with a lot of stress. Right. Uh, you worked in um, conflict zones and con- countries with ongoing conflict and social unrest. So tell us a little bit about how that that experience about your your past life, let's say. Sure, my former life. Yeah. <laughs> um, so development was my dream job, and I did it for many years, almost ten years. Um, I spent a few years working. Uh, in sub-Saharan Africa, and I worked in South Sudan right after the peace agreement was signed in the mid-2000s, and um, I worked with a nonprofit that did a lot of democracy promotion work there, and so we um, really went in and, and worked with these groups as they were coming out of conflict to help build, you know, democratic institutions for South Sudan. Um, I worked in Liberia and Somaliland um, and a few other African countries, and then I switched over to the Middle East, mm-hmm. and I always said I want to go to the Middle East, and I never <laughs> want to go to take a job that works on Iraq and the first place I went was Iraq Um, so I worked for about five years on Middle East programs and that was everything from Iraq Syria Libya Yemen um, other other places Jordan things like that Um, and and at that point my my body had really just started to kind of give out on me and um, in 2012 I decided that I had my body had had enough, and I decided to transition out of development. But um, it was an amazing experience. Yeah. Let me give us give us um, for those, for example, who da- who have n- no idea how development work works. Sure. Why don't you give us a little bit of an idea of sure. how your life in these countries, where there was very little infrastructure, 
uh, access to water, clean water, etc. How was it? Sure. Well, I will first say that I was always a DC-based employee. So I lived in DC. And um, as we were discussing before we started, I had the privilege of going out for weeks or you know a month, six weeks at a time, and then coming back. And, but I always got to come back. There are a lot of staff, including the local staff that live there all the time and, and you know get far less or no breaks from that lack of infrastructure or lack of safety as it is. Um, so I would go out to help with everything from proposal development to program startup to program shutdown. Um, it really just depended on the needs. So sometimes I would go out for usually not less than two weeks at a time. There were times where I spent six to eight weeks in one place working on something specific. Um, in some places, you'd be in a decent hotel. Um, in some places, like South Sudan, I worked in South Sudan for five years, and I never didn't stay in a tent. Wow. <laughs> Which is funny now, because it's much more developed. But back then, there, there really weren't that many options. And so tent living it was, um, which was kind of, you know, fine. But then again, I didn't live there all year round. Um, and then in some places you would share a group house and be really restricted in your movements, um, like in certain parts of Iraq. So those are kind of the different. Cool. So when you first started talking, you said you're my bo by 2012, your body gave out and like right. you were done with international development work. What do you... Let's dive deeper into that. What do you mean by your body? What, what sure. subtle signs, or not so subtle, right. <laughs> signs were you getting <laughs> that you were done both physically and probably mentally as yeah, well? Yeah, emotionally. There's a mental, right. mental component to it. So working in South Sudan, because of the lack of development, was really hard on me. A lot of people lucked out. I did not. Um, I had everything from malaria to typhoid to uh, giardia to other Mm -hmm. unpleasant you know things and over the years as I would go out and get sick I would come back I would obviously feel bad and then I would get put on a course of some hardcore antibiotic of course mm -hmm. and then it got to the point where I would start carrying antibiotics with me which actually saved my life one time in Sudan um, because we were out in the middle of nowhere and our plane didn't show up to take us home and I was super sick this is when I had typhoid mm -hmm. but I had Cipro with me mm -hmm. and I took that Cipro and it probably Wow. Like, kept me out of the mm. hospital. But eventually, as you both know, repeated antibiotic use combined with stress and no sleep and poor diet and all that other stuff just decimates your gut. Yeah. And so I started getting to the point where I would come home feeling horrible. I would, you know, be home for, let's say, a month, two months, three months. And I'd start to kind of pull myself back together. But I still wasn't sleeping well. And I was super, uh, tons of anxiety, and I really had a hard time regulating my emotions, and I just felt very volatile. Um, and then I'd have to go out and do it again. So it's like as soon as I'd start to climb back up that hill, I'd go out, and then I would probably end up getting sick again and come back even more depleted. And so it was just this cycle that I could see happening, but I really wasn't sure what I could do to stop it. Yeah. I, you... Sort of like, of course, the body was wreaking havoc, right? Mm -hmm. But let's talk a little bit about the emotions. Mm -hmm. How were you coping with the emotions or, or not coping with... Uh, so it's a heavy load, right, to work in these countries. Sure. to feel unsafe sometimes. To feel unsafe mm -hmm. as right. a woman. Yeah, so I, I did have some... Obviously, anytime you travel this much, you have incidents where you look back and you think, wow, I was really lucky there. You know, like, that could have been a lot worse. And... Um, I had moments where I didn't necessarily realize it in the, t in the moment, but I looked back and thought, huh. But then I had moments that were pretty scary when they happened. And, and not all of them were actually probably 
possibly going to be harmful moments for me, but you kind of get into this state of heightened awareness when you're out of course. as a woman in a place mm-hmm. where you stand out or, you know, I mean, yeah, you stand out yeah. for yeah. whatever reason, whether I'm a, a blonde woman in South Sudan or I'm a woman in Libya walking down the street, you know, without my head covered or, or something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I became kind of hypervigilant and that was anxiety inducing for me and it was also very very rough on my sleeping patterns and so I really started to be um, a hypervigilant sleeper which basically means that anytime there's a noise anywhere you are wide awake and I'm still very noise sensitive to this day Um, I'm not a great sleeper if somebody drops something really loud it I have a bodily reaction to it Mm -hmm. so I'm aware of that and that helps that I am aware of it but um, and I'm t- I take steps to help mo- you know moderate that now, but that was probably my biggest kind of physio emotional yeah you know effect. So, what made you like take the first step? You say like right. okay, at tw- in 2012 my body was done, my mind was done, but and we talked about this a little bit before the show. There's this passion for development yeah. and sort of like this addiction to being of service. And so how, how did you deal with that tension between right. my body is done and my passion for development? So I think that um, I had started teaching yoga in like the late 2000s. And I think that was my unconscious realization that I had to start doing something that was more quieting to my mind. And I remember there would be days where I would go to teach yoga and I would think, I don't even want to get out of the car and go do this. I would be such a wreck. But I would go in and teach and I would come out feeling like a completely different person, yeah. even though I was just teaching, right? Mm-hmm. I wasn't even, but because when you're doing yoga and it's a hard class, you don't have time to think about yeah. like, I'm stressed about this. You're like, well, I got to mm-hmm. stay in this position. Or I'm going to fall over. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of the first thing for me. And I think when I saw what I was getting out of that, I started realizing that my time in development had come to a point where I needed to keep moving up, right? Because that's what we do, mm-hmm. right? We have to keep moving up and yeah, moving forward course. always, right? Of strive, course. strive, strive. Um, I would have probably had to have taken a, a field job. And so I was talking about that for a while with my boss and I was engaged at that point and um, my fiance and I were like, well, like, would you come with me? What would that look like? You know, et cetera, et cetera. And I just kind of started thinking like, well, what else? Like, is this what I want to do? Like, is this really it? Because I knew sometimes once you go to the field, it's really hard to leave. Um, And I wasn't sure that that's what I wanted my life to be like. And so I, I just kind of started talking to my fiance about like, what would I do if I didn't do this? And um, I looked at a few different health careers. I looked at going back to naturopathic school. Mm-hmm. Um, I looked at going to med school. Um, and I, I looked at becoming an acupuncturist. And I talked to a lot of different people. I talked to my acupuncturist at that time. Um, and I, I just kind of made the decision to do it. And it was like, now looking back, I was 35 years old when I started school. I can't believe I decided to do it (laughs) um but it's done now so I guess you know that's what happened (laughs) so like and going back a little bit what were because I'm it's interesting to me because when I was burned out and when I was doing development work it was like I knew I was stressed out I knew there were certain things that I had to change and I thought I was making enough of a change 
but because I would feel a little bit better and then just kind of keep pushing through. And it sounds like that was your experience. Yeah. What was that breaking point? What was like what I'm doing now is definitely not enough. And what's going to push you? Right. So. Okay, so I'll, this is a maybe an overshare. Here you go, radio listeners. <laughs> yeah. um, we won that. We won that. Jill, so, we need followers. <laughs> I was in Iraq in 2010, I think, and I got my period started, and for the first time ever, I got the worst cramps. And I was in a in a group flat with a bunch of other people, and only my friend David and I were there together at that point. I was in such pain that I thought something was like really really wrong and he was freaking out because yeah. a we're colleagues and b i'm like writhing around on the floor screaming and crying so that ended up being just cramps and it subsided and i had to go to the emergency room in northern iraq which was I mean, an experience it, it was an experience itself, yes. I, I, yeah yeah where I they, know their show for that yeah right? yeah where they told me you're a woman it's supposed to hurt and that was that was their that was their, their advice take, for me yeah. yes um but i came home thinking okay, this isn't good. Like, I can't do this. And they actually, my boss back here made me come home early because everybody was so freaked out by what happened, including me. Um, so that was really, I think, kind of the turning point for me when I realized, like, my body is not okay with where I am. And I have to start thinking about, like, seriously, like, what am I going to prioritize, right? Like, I mean, because I think, and what you guys are getting at with this podcast, right? Success and this whole idea of success, and this is DC, right? So we're all very focused on success, but it's only so valuable when you are healthy enough to enjoy it. Yeah. Exactly. And that's where... Tweet, that's a tweet. Yeah. Success, it's only... It's valuable when you can enjoy it. When you can enjoy it, healthy enough to enjoy it, for sure. Absolutely. Um, And let me, yeah, let me be like uh, provocative. Do you, I mean, what, what I see, you know, as a health coach who works with women, I, I have, I've had a few clients who work in international development, human rights. Yeah. Uh, I always see that they make the changes after they feel really bad. Yeah. But they also make, let's say, a career change. Yeah. Do you think that now having the knowledge that you have, the tools that you have, having figured out what works for you, what keeps you centered, healthy, etc., would you have been able would you be able to, I'm not saying you should go back, but it was like, right. would, do you think, could, I? You, could mm-hmm. I have, exactly, could you have been able to deal with the stress? Yeah, I do think that now I've, my knowledge of, of health and wellness has obviously grown. I mean, I, I didn't really know anything before. Um, I do think I could manage it better now. Um, I think that it's also about kind of setting boundaries and, and understanding what when you've reached your point and then saying no as much as you can, which obviously when you're a 27 year old, you can't say, no, I don't want to go to Liberia for two weeks, but you know, theoretically you could try. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but I do think that, that I could do it now. And I have a lot of friends who are still in development and, and patients Mm -hmm. that are in development. And we do, we work on strategies around like, okay, I'm going out for this trip. So what can we send you with so that if you do get sick, you don't have to jump straight to the Cipro or, you know, do you need to carry snacks with you because you're not going to have access to any sort of healthy food? And, you know, there are strategies you can use. Cool. I think we're at a great point in the conversation where we can take a short break and then we can come back and talk a little bit more about the nitty gritty of acupuncture. Great. Uh, So stay tuned for the second part of our conversation where we'll continue to talk to Jill, an acupuncturist and herbalist based in Washington, D.C. 
Welcome back to the Big Life Podcast on Full Service Radio. We are Ingrid Vaishus and Lina Salazar broadcasting live from the lobby of the Line Hotel. For, for, for those of us just joining us, um, we've been talking to Jill Hicks, an acupuncturist and herbalist based in Washington, D.C. Uh, we just spent the first half of our conversation basically talking about Jill's experience with burnout and international development, working in conflict zones all over Africa and the Middle East, and how pushing herself to that limit actually led her down the path of going to acupuncture school um, and basically taking her health into her own hands because she figured out her body was just not dealing well with the stress of the job that she was in. Um, and so I feel like right now it's a good point to talk about a little bit more about how you got into acupuncture, where you went to school, and tell us a little bit more about what acupuncture is. Like if you have skeptic, we have skeptic listeners who are like, I don't know about this. Tell us a little bit more about acupuncture. Which we surely do. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, so... <laughs> <laughs> when I was when I was doing my research, um, I didn't. I had been getting acupuncture for a while, and I had actually gone in for low back pain. Um, but I really noticed the biggest difference for for personally for myself was my anxiety and my ability to kind of cope with stress increased with mm-hmm. regular acupuncture treatments. And so, my acupuncturist at that time was a really amazing resource for me um, to help me decide to go to school. And, and we debated, you know, do I go to med school or do I do this? Mm-hmm. And I, I chose acupuncture for a variety of reasons. And, and one is you can do a lot with an acupuncture license. Um, so it was a practical decision as well. Um, I moved to California for the program. I did a four-year full-time master's degree program. Um, it is more than 3,000 hours of training. Um, and it was a really hard, intense program. Um, and I did well as an adult. I was surprised, <laughs> but I liked it, and I did well in school, so that was great. Um, and then we immediately moved back here because I wanted to work with my DC peeps mm-hmm. because I understand what it's like um, when I have women come in, and they, I've had women before, and even in the last few weeks, come in and they say, well, I'm a contractor, and you know, I think I have PTSD, and I'm, I say, well, why? You know, and they're like, well, I, I work in development. And as soon as I say, well, I worked in development too, like, yeah. they're like, oh, you get it. Like, mm-hmm. and that just makes a huge difference in trust, right, in, in the space. Mm-hmm. Um, so acupuncture, what yeah. is it? Chinese medicine, right? Mm-hmm. It's a several thousand-year-old system of medicine that includes uh, acupuncture, uh, Chinese herbal medicine, uh, modalities such as cupping, which mm-hmm. everybody is becoming more familiar with, Gua Sha, yeah. which is I a love it. scraping. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I have oh. my marks here. Yeah. <laughs> Too bad you guys, can't, you guys can't see their marks. Yeah. Um, gua Sha is a scraping technique. It's getting more pressed now because a lot of people are doing facial Gua Sha for wrinkles and, and facial tone. Um, and and other, other modalities, including the use of moxibustion, which is burning of an herb um, over certain areas of the body. So we learn all of those um, aspects of Chinese medicine in school, but obviously the biggest chunk of time is on acupuncture and herbs. So acupuncture is the insertion of a solid needle, filament needle, um, into different channels and points along the body meant to stimulate healing and balance in some way, right? So the, the most basic kind of, this isn't a complete description, but it's almost impossible to encapsulate Chinese medicine in an easy soundbite. But you can think of the body as having different elements, right? You've got yin, you've got yang, you've got qi, you've got blood. And your yin is kind of your moist, cooling fluids of the body. The yang is the warm, lifting element in the body. 
the blood is your blood. You can think of it generally as the same. And your chi is in, when you read about it, you hear about it as like a life force, but so you can think of it as a life force. Um, if you have an imbalance in those, you have too much chi or your chi is stuck or you don't have enough blood or you have not enough yin, you're going to experience different symptoms based on what that imbalance is. And then what we do is we use different points along the channel or possibly an herbal formula, possibly some food choices um, to help balance that back out for you. Yeah, that's very clear to me. I know, it's like <laughs> perfect. It's like a mini acupuncture glass. Great. Yeah. And so, like, to get to the, once you insert the needle, what does that needle do? One, is it painful? So, the needles are almost as thin as a human hair. Um, so, when people who have had a lot of shots get really nervous about needles, generally, once you kind of show them the needle, and you can sometimes barely see them in the light if you hold them up. Um, so, they're very, very thin, but sometimes you do feel the needle crossing the skin. Um, sometimes you don't. It really depends on the area of the body, and it depends on the person, too. Um, once the needle's across the skin, you could feel like an achy or a grabby sensation under the skin, and that's it's actually good. It means that there's lots of good energy coming to that point. So that's a good feeling. Not everybody gets it, and definitely not everybody gets it on every point. Um, but past that, um, once the needles are in, it's generally a very relaxing experience, and people usually fall asleep on the table. So basically the needles are helping redirect energy into your body. So yes. like balance it out, mm -hmm. like the flow. That's how I think about yeah, it. Yeah, you think can about like, like yeah. There's a flow that's not working properly. You insert a needle and it kind and of it shifts things yes. in your body. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes. That's a, that's a, it's a good way to think of it. Cool. And so if you are burned out, if you're stressed, does acupuncture help the physical elements or the mental elements or both? It can help both. So one way that I describe it to people is you can think of every time you lay down on the table as you're helping to reset your nervous system and your nervous system is part of your fight or flight mm -hmm. as we've heard or your rest and digest response and so we spend way too much time in fight and flight mm -hmm. right we we're stressed when we get up and check our email before we even get out of bed we drive to work and the traffic is horrible you get to you know it, there's just a thousand things that drive us into these states of heightened stress during the day and we don't spend enough time in that super calm, you know, breathing, resting and digesting phase. So even it's an hour appointment, if you spend 25 minutes of that dozing on the table, that's enough time for your body to really reset and for your cortisol levels, which is a stress hormone, to really come down. And that in itself, if we are doing nothing else other than just working on stress levels, that can be transformative for somebody's day and somebody's week. Sometimes it's the only time that people have to just shut their brain off do you see any trends in your patients like what what why do they come for you to you so i mean stress is a overarching Top, concern yeah. for everyone um i think definitely in the climate that we're living in now especially in dc um i have a lot of people who are really really struggling they're struggling with sleep and they They just feel like their mind is just racing at night because they're so worried about, you know, their job or where things are going, things like that. Um, you know, we treat a lot of pain because it's just everybody's got pain somewhere, but many people, right, all of us desk workers who are hunched over computers all day, we've got neck strain and shoulder strain and tight jaws and things like that. I work with a lot of fertility um, And that's very 
I, I love it. It's very rewarding. Um, and then I work with a lot of um, women's health, I would say. Yeah. yeah. So you, I'm trying to put myself in the shoes of those who are skeptical about acupuncture sure. or have never heard sure. about it. So let's, let's say, okay, I go to you because I'm stressed or I'm anxious. Um, how long before, you start, that, before I start seeing results? And what's most important, I would love you to talk, to, talk about the fact that this is not like a quick fix no. and that it has right. to be complemented with what you were talking about, lifestyle for example, changes. food, lifestyle yeah. changes. Yeah. yeah. Oh, sorry. sorry. I'll tack on to that because I feel like that. And then can it complement Western medicine sure. right because uh, i feel yeah. like a lot of people will be like well i already do this why do i need to do sure. this uh-huh. okay let me do yours first and then mm-hmm. i'll go to yeah. Ingrid. <laughs> so um yes you have to i have a lot of i have a few people not that many but sometimes people come in and say oh i just wanted to try it and i'm like okay well, if you're just trying it for shoulder pain we might be able to you know get you some nice relief in one treatment it's not going to be lasting but that's fine um acupuncture is best used with consistency and it generally accumulates an effect over time. So um, I have a woman who started seeing me a few weeks ago for low back and hip pain, and I think I've seen her four times. Um, and she just feels a little better after every treatment. So she's like 80% better now, she says, in terms of her quality, but after treatment two, she was probably 40% better. And, and I do try to track that with numbers as we go so we can kind of watch improvement. Um, you have to have... Yes, generally people that come to see me, we kind of call it, we, we laugh and call it last chance medicine because often it's people that have been everywhere else. They've tried everything else. They've had surgeries. They've seen this doctor. They've seen that doctor. Many people are already under the care of a really good naturopathic or functional medicine practitioner, which is yeah. great. And they're often sent over because of a recommendation for some additional you know, therapies to help augment what's already happening. Um, it's rare anymore if, if someone's... N- I can tell in the first visit, right, if someone comes in and says, well, I eat this, you know, I have like Coke and Cheerios and McDonald's for my meal. And I say, okay, well, let's start, you know, with small changes and let's start to maybe work in some vegetables. If somebody's resistant to that, really resistant to it, um, you know, I'll keep working on them, but often they're going to feel overwhelmed by, yeah. by what's happening and, and maybe not continue but fortunately for me, most of the people that come through the door are pretty receptive um, to change because they, they're coming in and they're, you know, they're paying for it because they want to feel better. Mm-hmm. And so you know, I try not to throw too much at people all at once, and we try to go slow and in slow measured and steps. Yep. Sometimes it's just like, let's try to get two more glasses of water yeah. a day this week you know, and Key. see how you do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and so it's, it can be a slow process, but generally if you make the changes, um, eventually you won't need me or won't need me very much which is what you need what yeah. you want which is great actually. yeah yeah i mean exactly. i feel like that's the sign of success i when Definitely. i when yeah. i met with my acupuncturist she's like well we need to see you relatively frequently now but then at this point i feel like i see her once every eight to ten weeks yep. depending on how i'm seeing but like and a tune-up exactly yep. like a tune-up yep. and it just has the same i feel amazing when i leave but i feel like i don't need it as frequently as i did when i was like at that critical stage yep so eventually um, we always aim to move people onto a maintenance program and then obviously I say if you sprain your ankle or get a cold just come back sooner and we'll work on that but if you're feeling good then we just keep you on maintenance what a, okay the western part of the yes. question so mm-hmm. um 
I, I, I enjoy working with, and I do work closely with Western medical pre- practitioners, including physical therapists, fertility clinics, uh, midwives, mm-hmm. um, health coaches, you know, nutritionists, things like that. So I, I think it's important. I regularly refer out and get referred into various different people, like chiropractors as well. Um, they can work really well together. Um, and, you know, we work well together as teams generally to, to help make sure that the quality of care is, That's awesome. is good. Yeah. And then the one piece that I find fascinating, we were talking about it earlier today, was that we begin to, we begin to see acupuncture go a little bit more mainstream, right? And one of the areas um, I think you were talking about was the military, mm-hmm. how they're using the ear acupuncture because it's so effective. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, so I, I, I mean, I... I only know what I've read anecdotally, mm-hmm. but so the military is, it's fascinating because they're often ahead of the game on a lot of healthcare stuff because they, yeah. you know, they've got such a huge population that they have to focus on. Um, they have been using acupuncture in the ear or otherwise called auricular acupuncture for many years. Um, and they call it battlefield acupuncture. And there's a sequence um, that was created many years ago uh, called NADA. And NADA is a sequence of five needles in each ear that, um, helps with things like pain, addiction, trauma, things like that. And so it's used frequently in post-conflict and post-disaster settings. Um, And the military has adapted that for their own use, and I believe they're using it um, in the battlefield in times where... I'm not certain if it's times where there is no um, morphine. I don't think that's probably the case. But to augment things like that and to help reduce the stress response um, when something traumatic happens. Yeah, I also know that they have a strong mindfulness and meditation program for, mm-hmm. yeah. for the military. And, yeah. and the VAs now do employ acupuncturists yeah. mm-hmm. to treat on site awesome. as well. Yeah, That's awesome. That's great, which talks about the effectiveness, effectiveness. Yeah. of it, right? I mean, it. you have this yeah. in military, it means that it works. Probably yeah. means that it works. And it does work. Sometimes it even surprises me how much it works. I mean, yeah. it's fascinating. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel like... This has been like enlightening, and I can sit here and talk to you for hours I know, because I do great. believe in the power of it, and it's like transformative. It's just one more thing that you can add to your toolkit, and we talk Absolutely. about it a lot. And yep. I feel like it's one of those things that you add, and you will see change. You just have to be patient around it. Um, but we both believe that one of the most important things in living a big life and in reducing stress is being grateful and thankful and looking at the positive. Yeah. So with that in mind, we'd love to know what does living a big life mean to you? Mm, good question. I thought about this a little bit. Um, I think it means being true to you. And I think that we live in a society these days that's very very obsessed with everything is outward looking or screen viewing right so we're so worried about what everybody else is doing and what we should the shoulds in life right um (laughs) that we don't really think about what we what we want and what benefits us the most and i think that having a big life is asking yourself those hard questions and then you know really trying to come through on those and it doesn't have to mean a career change but it can mean hey, I need to, you know, I need to lose 40 pounds so I can walk with my kids and, you know, be a good parent. Um, Or I need to get my diabetes under control with diet because, you know, I don't want to use, you know, insulin for the rest of my life. Um, Those are huge, huge changes that can make a huge difference in people's lives. And that can be your big life change. You know, you just got to be true to yourself. Absolutely. That's true. Big life changes. What's one thing that you're excited about? Um, I'm starting to think about my 
possible re-entry into the development world mm. with, a, with an acupuncture focus. That's interesting. That's yeah. awesome. Well, More to come. Yeah. <laughs> Stay tuned. We'll see. And then with that in mind, if people want to try acupuncture, want to see you, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you? Where can they find you? Great. So I am online, www.scarletoakacupuncture.com. The Scarlet Oak is the tree of D.C., so that is the scarlet with one T oh, country. Cool. Yeah, that's, that's why awesome. it's called that. Um, I'm in Georgetown, and I have a home office. Um, and people can schedule online, or they can always email me. It's all available online. Cool. And are you on Instagram as well? I am on Instagram, but it's a lot of cat pictures. Ah, okay. I mean, <laughs> there's some acupuncture yeah, pictures too. There's some copying cool. Priorities, yeah. guys. Copying in there as well. Yeah. 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 Awesome. Jill, this has been incredible. As Ingrid said, we could like talk about these four hours because we are both fans and, and believers in acupuncture. Um, I think that, I, I think we, three main takeaways for me, and please, Ingrid, feel free to, to add, is that Making the transition from, uh, let's say, a life where you are stressed and burned out uh, to one where you prioritize your well-being, it's a life decision, yeah. right? In your case, it was a life decision. It's an ongoing decision. It's an ongoing decision, yeah. exactly. Um, so it, it, it talks about, that says a lot about how important this, this issue is for someone's life. And then also the fact that stress and burnout don't only have a negative impact on your body, but also on your emotions and your mental health. Yes. Right. And we saw it like perfectly in, in your case. And I am sure that a lot of listeners can relate to that. And also, I just love that what you said about success, mm -hmm. right? Success cannot be enjoyed unless you're healthy. Because we tend to believe that it's either or. It's like either I push myself yeah. and I really just, you know, work over time or just like keep going to the field, etc. Or I take care of myself. So right. it's not either or. We can do both at the same time. Yes. So those are my main takeaways. I would just add, which is what I have seen with my clients when I work with people, is the idea that we don't realize how stressed out we are yeah, while we're true. in we it. We normalize it, right? We normalize yeah. it. But then your experience and what, I, what we were talking about is you put like this band-aid approach, right? Like we do just enough so that we feel a little bit better. Yeah. And then we have like this breaking point. Yeah. And I would love to have the conversation about it doesn't have to be like this huge, gigantic breaking point. You can still be doing it, but we have to be more mindful about yeah. where we're at and more realistic. And I think we're having that conversation a little bit more yeah. uh, that leads to like, oh, okay, it doesn't have to be like this abrupt, like, oh, I'm leaving if I don't want to, right? Because right. I feel so crummy or because like things are not where they're at. If, like, if I can look at my health and look at things Uh, from a more wide lens, then maybe I can start making the changes before it gets to that point where right. we have to have that break because we physically right. really are not in the shape we can do it. Do it. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. Jill, again, thank you so much. Thanks, we hope to maybe we'll have you in the, in the future. Um, please, people, followers, stay <laughs> tuned because next week we'll have a great show on stress in the classroom. We're going to talk to Blaze Carland who's a specialist and therapist for the Loudoun County Public School System. Uh, teens are facing stress. It's not mm -hmm. only adults. So we're going to be talk, uh, talking about that. So stay tuned and see you next week. Yep. Thank you again, Jill. This was a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye.